This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled that you can be with us today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today, our guest is Dr. Cindy Otto. And Dr. Otto was a member of the Pennsylvania Urban Search and Rescue Task Force 1 from 1994 to 2010. She also began monitoring the health and behavior of urban search and rescue canines in October of 2001, right after the 9-11 attacks. And her work inspired her to establish the Penn Vet Working Dog Center. And Dr. Otto is a board-certified emergency and critical care veterinarian and a tenured associate professor of critical care at the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Dr. Otto to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're so excited to have Dr. Cindy Otto with us today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Otto. Thanks for having me on, Marcy. Yeah, we're so excited you could be here to talk with us about all your vast experience with urban search and rescue dogs. It's such an exciting topic, and I I love talking about it. Well, tell us, how did you get started working with search and rescue dogs? It goes about 20 years back. As a veterinarian and doing my residency at the University of Georgia, someone contacted the school looking for a veterinarian that might be interested in helping with an urban search and rescue dog team that they were trying to establish. And at the time, I was given that assignment because I was interested in emergency medicine and they thought this might be perfect. As it turned out, that team actually didn't follow through. But when I moved to Pennsylvania a couple of years later, I started seeking out the urban search and rescue team that was just starting to get developed here in Pennsylvania. And from about 1994, I was associated with that team because I felt like 
the dogs on that team deserve to have veterinary care, which was so important to me. Yeah. Well, tell us, what did you do for those teams? Mostly I trained with them and we would go out to a a training site where we would have a rubble pile and and I would keep an eye on the dogs and watch their training and monitor the dogs. And we did some first aid courses and, and really just kind of kept track of what was happening with the dogs and where we were going um, to make sure that when they were working, they were safe and we didn't have any problems. So it was really enlightening for me. I learned a ton about how these dogs train, how they work. I got to hide in the rubble and (laughs) and there were very few problems with the dogs during the training, which was great. But we definitely wanted to be prepared for deployments because we didn't know if there would be issues for the dogs during a deployment. Yeah. So you did actually get to go out on the deployments with them. I went out on two deployments with the Pennsylvania Task Force, and and that was actually all of the deployments that we had during that time period. One was Hurricane Floyd in North Carolina, and then the second one was 9-11. And so the urban search and rescue teams are only called out on federal disasters. And so happily, there really weren't that many disasters. Most of what we did was training during the 15 years that I was part of the team. Wow. Well, that's such a great point. I'm so glad that you said that, that it's on federal disasters, because that really helps to to differentiate what the role is. And that's so important because, boy, I mean, I can only imagine how helpful the teams were during those two tremendous disasters, especially 9-11. It was essential. And and actually, the team also responded to Hurricane Katrina. But at that point, I was responding with a veterinary team because I felt like the issues with the animals were so much broader than with the working dogs. But happily, I was able to also provide the care for the working dogs down in Mississippi during that time. So I kind of got the best of both worlds with that one. Yeah. Well, so tell us about what was your role during after 9-11? So with 9-11, our team was activated on the 11th, and we took buses up to New York and arrived um, late at night on the night of the 11th. And my job was really just to take care of the dogs and make sure that they were safe and healthy. And that was a little unusual because the task forces didn't actually have an assigned position for a veterinarian to help take care of the dogs. And so our task force, particularly our task force leader, Fred Endercott, was really kind of looking forward and thinking about the best interests of the dogs. And I, I just have to commend him for for having that vision to be able to kind of bring me along under a, a support role so that I could help take care of the dogs. And so my job was to be at, at ground zero shift and just be there and be available and evaluate the dogs and and kind of look out for not only the dogs on our team, but any other dogs that were in our area. And so how, when you say you evaluated them, were they allowed to work a certain amount of time and then come back to a central location where you could evaluate them? That was the plan. Uh, and the biggest the biggest challenge we had was actually to have them take those breaks. So sometimes I would go out, you know, right, right on the edge of the pile and, you know, check them. But a lot of times I was just requesting that they do come back so that they could keep safe and, and, you know, have something to drink, try and have something to eat so that they could continue to work safely. Yeah. And what were the, some of the things that you saw with the dogs when you when you were checking them out? Probably the biggest thing was all of that dust 
when it it rained, I can't even remember which day it rained, but it turned it into almost um, like sandpaper or concrete. And so the dogs, if their feet were wet and then they walked in the dust, that would uh, accumulate between their toes. And so we were, you know, washing out their feet and we were checking them for cuts and scrapes. It was amazing how few problems the dogs actually had on site. I was surprised and happy about that. Yeah, that's incredible. They are such athletes, though. I mean, I always liken my assistance dog, Whistle, to an Olympic athlete because he is just so incredible. The shape that they're in and their endurance is really amazing. And I can only imagine how that is for the urban search and rescue dogs. Oh, absolutely. And it's such an important part. It's, it's actually an area that we're really trying to even take to the next level to keep them conditioned like Olympic athletes. So we're developing some fitness programs and, and things um, to, to help keep them fit and safe and really, you know, top condition. Yeah. Well, so you've been doing a lot of research after 9-11 into the health and behavior of the urban search and rescue dogs, right? That's correct. We uh, started a, our longitudinal study, which is the first of its kind, and, and it was really incredible. The AKC Canine Health Foundation has funded us, and we're now in our 12th year of following not only the 95 dogs that responded to one of the three sites, which would have been Ground Zero, uh, Staten Island, or the Pentagon, but we also have 55 control search and rescue dogs, so that if we did start to see something unusual, we, we could to make sure it wasn't because of the particular types of dogs that do search and rescue or the breeds of dogs or something else that wasn't uniquely related to the 9-11 response. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And so I'm sure you're publishing all of that information in multiple places. We have published quite a bit of the information <laughs> about the results and, and so much of it is, is positive in that the dogs didn't develop respiratory problems. They really haven't developed behavioral problems that are associated with 9-11. We just published a paper that helps us understand a little bit more about how close the bond is between the dog and the handler. Because you need to remember that all of these search and rescue dog handlers are, are volunteers and these are their dogs. It's not like they go, you know, and pick up a dog and do search and rescue. This is their dog. They have, they've purchased this dog. They've trained this dog. They've worked with this dog. And, and the relationship is so strong. And, and what we found is that some of our handlers that had more difficulties, um, emotional problems after 9-11, their dogs also started to show some behavioral changes. And we think that that's just because that relationship that one reflects the other. Yeah, definitely. So where is that article published? Because I would love to read that about the bond between the handler and the dog. Where can we find that? That article is published in a journal called Anthrozoas. So that journal is available online. I don't know if that is a, an open access article or not, um, but certainly that is one. If someone wanted a copy of it, we could um, they could email me and we could provide that for them. Okay, great. Yeah, because I know I would love to have a copy of that to read about it because that is such, I'm always amazed at the relationship. I'm now on my third assistance dog and the bond is just so incredible and it has been that way with every one of them. So yeah, I mean, when you're in these stressful stressful situations, yeah, it's really incredible what that really becomes. Yeah. Well, and so all of the the work that you've been doing, you just established the Pin Vet Working Dog Center. So can you tell us about that and what your goals are for the center? 
Oh, this is just the greatest thing ever. Um, <laughs> it's so exciting. We've had the concept of the Penn Vet Working Dog Center since 2007, and, and actually the idea goes even back to 2002. And what we want wanted to do was establish a place where we could do research to help working dogs, we could get information, and we could share information. So we've put on conferences, we've put on just even weekend um, programs and, and leaving for Ohio tomorrow to do a, a fitness and first aid program with, with the search and rescue dogs there. And so that's been part of it. But now we have a physical center where we can really take it to the next level. And what we're doing is we're raising and training dogs for search behavior. It's not just search and rescue, but it could be explosive detection and drug detection, even things as interesting and sort of new as cancer detection. So we're bringing in puppies and and right now, our very first class of puppies started last week, and these puppies were all donated from wonderful breeders across the country. And they came to us at about eight weeks of age, and they entered our uh, foundations program. And the way it works is we have foster families who take care of these pups evenings and weekends, but every morning from Monday through Friday, they drop their puppy off at what we call a little puppy prep school, and every evening they pick their puppy up, and all day during the day, we do all sorts of different activities with the puppy and build on some of the, the real important features of these dogs that will help them be successful in their search work. Oh, that's so wonderful. You must be beside yourself. I am. I am. It's, I feel like a, a new mother and I have that's like seven I, children. And it's, That's it's what I was so going to say. You must stuff. feel like a new mom. Yes. Yes. Wow. Uh, thank goodness wonderful. we have a village to help raise them. But it's, yeah. the dogs are so great. They're already learning so much just within a week. It's so mind-boggling how fast these little guys learn and how much they kind of just love it too. We're, we're all positive-based training and, and so the dogs are engaged and happy and they they work hard and then they play hard and then when they go home with their foster families they sleep a lot so it's, it's oh. good for everybody yeah and get lots of hugs and kisses I'm sure too which they deserve absolutely all of us all of us are constantly doing that and we have lots of volunteers that come into our program and help us with the dogs with walking them and and doing you know just the socialization types of things with these pups and and so there's hugs and kisses and playing and treats and you know all of the good things that that puppies deserve well that is so exciting and we are going to take just a quick break and hear some messages from our sponsors but we're going to come back and continue visiting with dr otto and and talking about the Penn Vet Working Dog Center. So come right back after these quick messages. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet 
Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with Dr. Cindy Otto. And before the break, Dr. Otto was telling us about the awesome new Pen Vet Working Dog Center that just opened and about all the incredible activities that are happening there to train working dogs in all different types of search detection, which is really amazing. So you were talking about all the different types of tasks, the bomb alert. Do you do seizure alert as well? I know you mentioned cancer. Well, and what we're doing, and it's so exciting because we're building the foundation for these dogs. What we're teaching them is everything they need to know about how to detect something and find something. So we're really trying to build their their use of their nose and also the, the persistence that they continue to really investigate things. We are not introducing them to any specific odor at this stage of their, of their training. What we're equating it to is, is the prep school or even a liberal arts college where you have a foundation and then you go on to your master's program and you select what that is you're going to specialize in. So all of our dogs are going to have the foundation and then based on the need, based on the dog's physical and behavioral characteristics, we'll be able to put that dog into an advanced program that takes advantage of those characteristics and helps that to be the most successful dog in that program. Okay, so how long will the dog stay in your program? Our program's a year, you know, give or take, and so we'll see how we we go. I mean, it it feels like the dogs in a week have made such progress. It's like, wow, by the end of a month, they're going to be, you know, ready to go. But we also know there's the physical maturity, the mental maturity that they all have to go through. And so they definitely won't be ready for careers until they're at least 14 to 18 months. And so who has the opportunity? Who are you working with to then place them into that advanced stage? And so that's a great question, and we're really open to working with anybody. We're going to do some of our own advanced training, I'm sure, but we're open to uh, where the need is greatest. So some of our government agencies, some private organizations, police departments that need detection dogs. Obviously, we're not doing patrol work with these dogs, but there are plenty of places that need dogs for detection. And then when we talk about the cancer research, those dogs would continue probably to live in foster homes and then work, you know, five days a week and, and, you know, continue their careers in in that way. Oh, that's so interesting. And and I know how expensive it is to train these incredible animals. How is your program funded? Oh, that's, yes, that is a very good question because it is incredibly expensive. If we really put together all of the pieces, these dogs, you know, cost somewhere between thirty and $50,000 to train. And all of our work on private donations. So we don't have any government funding, although we're hoping that we will develop some partnerships with some of the different uh, federal agencies. We actually don't have any university funding either. They support us and they're they're really um, happy to have us, but they're actually not providing any of the funds for the program. So it's all private donors at this point. So foundations and and individuals who have seen how important this is and and really believe in it. It's been really exciting, but we we do need to continue to raise the money and and we hope that if we can find people who would actually even sponsor some of these dogs then we would be able to donate them to agencies but until we get to that point then the agencies will have to end up you know making their own donation to get one of our our super dogs yeah yeah well how can our listeners if they want more information or want to make a donation dr otto what should they do 
the best thing to do is to go to our website, and that's www.penvetwdc.org. And there's lots of great information on the site. Plus, there is a, a button that's help a you know be a hero, help a hero, and it allows you to to donate or to volunteer. So we have lots of volunteers that are participating in our program because we need lots of hands with these puppies. So if you're in the area and want to come volunteer on site, you can fill out the application for that. We also um, have lots of people who are helping from a distance, people who have special skills, whether it's in fundraising or in communications or, or things that they can then help us to continue to grow. So we're very inclusive of of having people participate in this. It's such a, a great process. Yeah, and it's so groundbreaking. I mean, this is this is really unique what you're doing. It really is. There are several other organizations that do parts of what we do, but the whole combination that, that we're doing is, is really very unique, partly because we're in an urban setting and we can take advantage of that and our puppies are now being exposed to all sorts of things that they'll be exposed to as adults. In addition, we are really focusing on the puppies and that's a hard, a hard thing to do because it, it does take a lot of, of effort. Some of our volunteers are, are also really special people. We have a program where we're working with veterans, and that's through an organization called The Mission Continues. They're helping fund those veterans to work with us as interns. We're working with a couple of prison dog programs, and so when when they're, the prisoners are paroled, there's an opportunity for them to come and, and do an internship with us and, and learn some of those skills to hopefully help them develop careers working with dogs as they you know reintegrate into society. We also have a, a group of homeless youth that are in a program called Hand to Paw, and, and we're working to establish internships for them so that they can get some of these uh, dog-related skills and, and look at careers as well. Yeah, that's excellent. That's so great to expose so many different people, especially groups that are underserved or that have any kind of disparity. That's awesome to connect them so they can get to see. And like you said, give them ideas for careers and for opportunities for themselves. Oh, yeah. It's it's so exciting and to see how these dogs just touch people. It, it really, oh, yeah. you know, it's it's heartwarming. Yeah, it is. It is. It's so innocent and so genuine. It's just, yeah, it's incredible. Well, I know that you've been with the work that you've been doing, you've been looking at the success rates of working dogs. And I, I was wondering what your thoughts were about that, because I've heard so many different percentages, you know, for assistance dogs or police dogs, different types of dogs. But what are your thoughts about the success rates of working dogs? That's a really complicated question, and we have to think <laughs> about what success means. And so what we're hoping with our dogs is 100% success. Well, we hope that they go into detection work, but, you know, so is that 100% success? Well, if our dogs maybe aren't as good with their noses but can go into service work, would those then qualify as success? And so that's oftentimes what happens if we look at the seeing eye, which has, I think, about a 50% success rate, that's in success in guide. But a lot of their dogs will have career changes and go into detection work. So, you know, that's still success in working, but it depends on what your, your vision is. And one of the things that we're looking at is the genetics behind success. 
So we've been collecting blood samples on working dogs, uh, detection dogs, and we have over 500 samples at this point. And what we're going to be looking at, and again, this is a really long-term project, is is there something genetically common among the dogs that are successful at work versus those that don't. And we have a couple of really interesting populations where we have related dogs that are doing detection work and then um, their their siblings or relatives that are pet dogs. And then another group that we have the information on, on all of the dogs who've entered a program and are able to look at the dogs that were successful versus those that weren't. And so if we can find the sort of genetic common ground, um, and it's not a single gene because behavior is such a complex trait, but we might be able to help select dogs more successfully and also go into shelters and, and try and help pick out dogs that have that genetic background that might make them more successful because there's some great programs that are taking dogs out of shelters and putting them into service or, or search work, but the success rate is so low. Um, it's really hard to find those dogs that have all of the, the behavioral and, and health aspects. And, and I've heard quoted, you know, one dog out of a thousand that have been screened for this actually has gone on to be successful. So we would love to be able to address that and, and see if we can improve the success of pulling some of those dogs from shelters. Yeah, well, that's fascinating work that you're doing. And we'd love for you to come back and tell us more and what you're seeing, because it is such an important piece of the working dog. And I think it it could really, because the need is so great, it could definitely increase the number of dogs that, that can be put into service. And I think it's just wonderful. Yeah, the need is absolutely great. There's so many things that we're recognizing dogs can do, and we just we do need to be able to provide those dogs and, and provide them in a, a good, healthy manner as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like you're doing that, Dr. Otto. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing, and it's so exciting about the Working Dog Center, and we really do hope you'll come back and, and share more information with us. Oh, it's been very exciting talking to you and a real privilege to be on your program. Thanks, Marcy. Thank you so much, and thank you, our listeners, for being with us. And we love hearing from you, so keep those emails coming. And you can follow us, as you know, at Working Like Dogs on Facebook and Twitter and read our blog at workinglikedogs.com. And we will also post the website that Dr. Otto mentioned, so please check that out at petliferadio.com. And we look forward to being with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.